You're listening to an audio resource from Vineyard Church of the Rockies in Fort Collins, Colorado. We are joining God's mission, transforming all things, and you're invited. To learn more about us and how you can connect, please visit votr.church. As Bristow said, it's great to worship together. And my name is Jeff. I'm the lead pastor here at the Vineyard. If we've never had a chance to meet, I would love to change that. My wife and I always try to hang out in the lobby. We'd love to meet you and and welcome you to the Vineyard. I do want to extend a special welcome to all the college students who are starting to trickle back in to Fort Collins. Of course, we've had many college students with us all summer long, but we know that over the next couple of weeks, more and more will be moving back, and we hope that we can be a home away from home for you during this school year. And and as always, we know many are tuning in online. We're praying for you and expect that God will meet you with his presence, his power, and his peace this morning as he does all of us as well. Well, there's no real easy way to introduce the new series, so I'm just going to blurt it out and we're just going to run with it. Today we're starting a five-week series titled Anxious for Nothing. Anxious for no- I thought I'd get kind of a cold response. No amens for anxiety. This morning no one wants to cheer on anxiety, right? I mean, just the word, just me saying it out loud has already made some of you anxious and you're like planning your escape for coffee number two and three and four because you don't who really enjoys sitting around talking about our anxiety? And I would, you know, you could just pray for the Faust house because I've been studying and reading and praying about anxiety for the last couple of weeks leading up to this message. And so, you know, I, I am really excited about this series though, Anxious for Nothing. And, and today's message is gonna serve kind of as a, as a foundation, an introduction to the whole series that we're gonna go through over the course of the next five weeks. I'm gonna use a variety of different scriptures this morning instead of one anchor text, which is kind of normally how we do it. But in the coming weeks then, we'll build on this foundation on how anxiety impacts us, how we can go to God to experience his transforming peace, and more importantly, what the Bible has to say about how we deal with anxiety and how we can begin to walk out a healing journey with God from a Christian point of view. And I think in the life of our church and definitely in all of our own personal lives, this is going to be a really important series because when you study scripture, When you begin to walk your faith out with Jesus, you're introduced to one really important promise. It's a promise that's guaranteed to us when someday we pass from this life to the next, but it's one of the most important promises that's in heaven, there is zero anxiety. There is zero anxiety in heaven. Okay, so we're getting a little response to that. Everyone's like, dear God, we need zero anxiety. Zero. I mean, imagine a life with absolutely no anxiety. Imagine thoughts that aren't riddled with anxiety in a constant kind of way. Some of us don't even know what that would look like because we're asking ourselves, well, if I'm not, if I don't have anxious thoughts, what kind of thoughts do I even have? If I'm not anxious, am I even alive? Right? This is like some of our realities. But in heaven, the promise is this, that there is zero anxiety in heaven. Now, if you, if you tease that out just a little bit and you continue to go to God's word, you run into another really interesting promise, both one that we agree with theologically and we try to play out at the Vineyard Church. And it's this promise that this side of eternity, we can begin to experience heaven on earth. That a promise from God is that Jesus Christ came so that we can begin to experience heaven on earth. Jesus, after all, he taught us this famous prayer, Lord, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. 
And so if we take this and we apply it to our own lives in this series, Anxious for Nothing, we can begin to pray, Lord, if there is no anxiety in heaven, then let your kingdom come in my life, in my family, in this church, in our city. Give us a taste of heaven on earth today. What would it look like to have our lives and our church marked by, by a, an atmosphere and a personal walk with Christ that knows more and more peace and less and less anxiety. This is our promise. We also have a powerful invitation from Scripture, a, a passage that I'm going to read at the beginning and the end of our sermon this morning. It's really going to serve kind of as a, as a guidepost for us throughout this entire series. It comes from 1 Peter 5, 7, and it says this, Cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. The promise of heaven on earth and casting your anxiety on him, it starts, of course, by making a personal relationship with Jesus, by placing your faith in the resurrected Christ, starting a relationship with him. This is where all of this begins. And if you've never given your life to Christ, you've never surrendered your life to him, then we're going to give you an opportunity to do that later in our service this morning because that could be the beginning of a whole new experience a whole new life for you from this day forward. But again, for everyone, I want us to begin to imagine a church. I want us to begin to imagine our own lives marked by the very peace of God. I, I want you to imagine that for yourself, but here's the other thing. I want you to begin to pray about who else in your life needs to know this kind of peace that we're promised. And begin praying for the people around you who need to experience this peace. You know, a few times each year at the Vineyard, we have special Sundays called Invite Sundays. And next week is going to be one of our big Invite Sundays. We want to be an invitational church. And so next Sunday, we're going to cover some amazing promises about what the Bible says, what our lives can look like with Christ, how we can begin to partner with God to experience more and more peace in our life. We'll give some great tools on how to walk away from anxiety and into peace. And we made the invitation incredibly easy for you. If you go to votrweekly.org, as Bristow mentioned earlier, one of the things that you'll see there is an invite tab. And when you open that invite tab, you can download our series art. Uh, you can download that slide. You can text it to a friend and invite them to come to church. You can put it on social media if you want. But the best way is to use that for a personal invite for someone in your life that you've been praying for that God may highlight as someone who needs to experience God's peace alongside of you as we gather together. The reality is we all need more of this peace and, and his presence in our lives. We all need more of God's peace in our lives. Even if you don't think you're an anxious person, I would argue that you, deep down, you really are. And you've just maybe created a, a facade or you've created a life or you've created some coping mechanisms where it doesn't appear that you're anxious. But I imagine that if we create the right amount of environment with the right amount of pressure and the right amount of weight, that sooner or later you'll get in touch with some of that deep-seated anxiety, right? We all have a bit of anxiety. I know for, for some of us, we, we think we're not anxious because we know some people who are like really anxious. And then we look at them and like, well, if that's anxiety, that's not what I have. So I guess I'm not that anxious of a person. And then you kind of move around your life. But again, if we created the right environment with the right amount of pressure, we could all get in touch with that anxiety. And for some of us, anxiety doesn't manifest itself in the 
kind of ways that you might think it does. It's for, for, for some of us, it's not that internal quaking or some kind of external tremor. Anxiety, for some of us, displays itself with anger, with snap quick decisions where actually you lead with rage. For some of us, anxiety manifests as being hyper-controlling, that if you can just organize everything perfectly, then control every outcome, then everything will be fine. Listen, that is anxiety trying to get you to force your will upon the world around you. And others become reclusive, or we try to pretend like we're living in some kind of la-la land where joy is the only emotion we ever experience because deep down we don't want to actually get in touch with what might be there. Coping with anxiety and the way that it displays itself, it, it looks different for all of us. It looks different for all of us. If I could give you a moment of, of self-disclosure this morning, um, for 33 years, I would say, up until about the last five years, I just thought I was not an anxious person. I thought I didn't, like, thank God, he's given me other things I struggle with, but this is not one of them. We all have our gifts, and one of mine was just walking in peace, right? Then um, I became the lead pastor of a church. <laughs> and it has nothing to do with you, I promise. It has everything to do with my own brokenness and my own journey and my own need for healing. But about five years ago, I became really in touch with some of my own anxiety. We're a pretty transparent church, and so every week you're going to hear a little bit about our own personal stories and struggles with anxiety. But um, I, it turns out I was kind of just a high-functioning, anxiety-driven, performance-centered human with a bunch of flaws deeply hidden in my heart that I masked in all these other ways. And over the years, uh, over the first three, 33 years of my life, I could largely hide or medicate my anxiety with fairly culturally acceptable mechanisms like exercise or achievement or some kind of performance-driven accomplishment that would ease my own anxiety until I had to accomplish something else because the inner treadmill that I was living on. And all of those things, like exercise to deal with anxiety, it's not like an inherently bad thing, but what I began to notice is I was using all those mechanisms to actually just hide the anxiety instead of experience healing and transformation. And Natalie will share more of her story in the, in the coming weeks. But, you know, one of the differences between Natalie and I is that she's way more apt to disclose what she's struggling with, and I'm way more apt to, like, hide it. And so I even remember early on in our marriage, this is going to give you a window into how arrogant of a 23-year-old newlywed I was. There were, there were moments in our early marriage where Natalie would confess being anxious, and I wanted to be a good husband. And so I would lay my hands in, on her shoulder and pray for her and care for her and empathize with her and, and you know, probably share too many Bible verses in those moments that you're not, that's not always like really helpful to do. And then I remember walking out of that room after that prayer and thinking, yeah, I'm a pretty darn good husband. Like, I really care for my wife right there. And God, by the way, thank you that I'm not anxious. Like, my wife is anxious. Like, this is like a real, this is just a real thought of mine. Not a very helpful thought. I'm not bragging about this thought. This thought needed to be transformed and healed. But this is a real thought. I instantly began comparing my own journey with anxiety to the people that were closest to me. And then the last few years, I just couldn't hide it anymore. About five years ago, many of you know the story of me becoming the lead pastor here at this church. I experienced incredible tragedy in my family. 
And when I began to experience personal tragedy and pain in the world around me, I could no longer deal with some of those anxieties. My coping mechanisms were beginning to fail. And then the organizational weight and the organizational pressure of leading a church. And I had never been a lead pastor before. So it was this whole new realm of leadership for me. The spiritual weight and the spiritual pressure that came with that was unnerving. And during my first year of becoming a lead pastor, I began to experience anxiety in a whole new kind of way. But I still was kind of masking it. I was masking it one day until I woke up and I had a cracked tooth. And I went to the dentist to get my molar fixed. And the dentist is super kind guy. He said, Jeff, do you grind your teeth at night? I was like, no, I don't grind my teeth at night. No, I, no. That's like someone else's thing. That's not my thing. And he goes, well, let me show you a picture of your tooth because I, I, I think maybe you do. And this crack that I'm about to fix might show us both that maybe you do in fact grind your teeth. And I see, here's what was happening for me. I was, I was still trying to ignore all of the anxiety. I was still trying to just walk away and, and act like I had it all together. And what would happen is then I would fall asleep and my subconscious would take over and I would literally grind my teeth to the point where I cracked a molar. And now I have a mouth guard at night because if I can keep doing that, I'm going to literally destroy my teeth. This is, this is the broken and flawed man who holds a position at this church. It's interesting how God uses flawed people. Shortly after I found out that I was grinding my teeth at night, I got this really annoying muscle spasm in my eye. You know those <laughs> eye twitches that like never go away? Usually if you just take a nap and have a glass of water, it goes away, but mine stayed for six months. I was probably having like pastoral counseling meetings with some of you and you're like sharing like deep painful things with me and my eyes started twitching. You're like, gosh, this guy cannot hold it together. Again, it wasn't you, it was me. It was, I, I couldn't sleep. And then what I would do to navigate the lack of sleep is I would drink tons of coffee thinking, yeah, I'll just power through this. But it turns out no sleep and tons of caffeine actually makes anxiety worse. And I had to create some new rhythms and some new realities, some new spiritual disciplines. I had to become more aware of some of the pain, some of the weight that I was trying to handle on my own. And I had to figure out how I was going to walk with God for healing and freedom and restoration. I like the illustration of a table to kind of explain what happened for me and, and what's probably happened for all of us to some degree. If you think about um, this podium up here right now, it's just got my Bible and my iPad. So we are well under the weight limit and the capacity of what this podium can handle. But the thing about life is that sooner or later, kind of the waves of life start to come and circumstances begin to pile upon you. And I had shared, like I had some relational weight and some organizational weight, some spiritual weight. There was heaviness in my life. And what happens when you put too much weight on this podium is that eventually you get to the point where it can no longer withstand any more weight and it begins to crack and buckle and eventually collapse. That was what was happening to my life. And I'm sure many of us have a very similar experience here or there in our walk with Christ. That sooner or later, things begin to crack, sometimes even collapse. I know we likely all have stories when it comes to anxiety, and, and here's a really um, tragic thing that's happened on the tail end of COVID, 
is that the anxiety in our culture is just rising and rising and rising. In a lot of ways, anxiety is the new pandemic. A study done in 2019, and I bet the stats are only higher now, report that two-thirds of Americans say that we are either anxious or extremely anxious. Two-thirds. I mean, imagine just a room this size or everyone tuning in online. If you think you're not the anxious person, which I would argue, then the people sitting next to you are potentially anxious folks struggling with anxiety. 91%, this is a really alarming statistic for me, 91% of high school students or college students report being consistently anxious or dealing with high levels of anxiety. 91%. And with back to school happening in just a few days, this can't help but be on my mind. Parents, this needs to be on our minds. We need to have conversations with our kids, and we need to be a non-anxious presence in our home. These are staggering statistics, and as a church and as a pastor, really as, as followers of Christ, together we have to seek God. We have to pursue his promises. We have to pray for heaven to come and be on earth. Because we need a powerful breakthrough of the kingdom if we're going to begin dealing with this earthly problem that is all around us. Our culture is as anxious as it's ever been. And if the church doesn't rise up, if we don't begin to communicate about ways that we can walk with God through anxiety and towards peace, everyone who struggles with anxiety is just going to be grasping for all the answers that the world offers. And those will consistently fail us. When we think about anxiety, though, unfortunately, and, and, and you think about like what's been communicated in the church, Christianity hasn't always offered the most helpful answers. We haven't always offered the most helpful answers. There's some lies. There are some myths that have been communicated from the church when it comes to anxiety. Here's how I would summarize it in just kind of one blanket statement. Here are your anxiety lies or your anxiety myths that maybe maybe you've heard. When it comes to anxiety, it's, it's your fault, it's Satan's fault, or it's your family's fault. And we just cycle through these. We just cycle through these consistently. Let me explain what I mean. The first one is that it's all your fault, that if you're experiencing anxiety, it's all your fault. You might have even heard things like, you know, mental health, it it, it shouldn't be a Christian's problem. If you struggle with anxiety or depression or any kind of mental health issue, it's, it's your fault. You're not praying hard enough. You're not worshiping loud enough. Your church attendance is beginning to slip. You haven't memorized enough Bible passages. Don't you know the Bible says be anxious for nothing? Don't you, I mean, if you're filled with the Spirit, how can you be filled with anxiety? You know, if you just had faith the size of a mustard seed, then God would move this mountain of anxiety out of your life. And these are some of the things that get spoken to folks who deal with anxiety. If you struggle with anxiety, it's all your fault. You need to do better and be better and try harder. Just chill out a little bit more. But this is a myth. It's a myth because just because you are plagued with anxiety doesn't mean that you're spiritually weak. It doesn't mean that you're somehow inferior to the spiritual giants of our day. 
I mean, it doesn't take you very long of reading this book. Maybe just start in the book of Psalms, and you'll find out really quickly how much anxiety plagued almost every leader who came before us. Anxiety isn't all your fault. Or, or how about the next one? It's all Satan's fault. It's simply not true. If the moment you begin to experience anxiety is the same moment where you start to cast out demons, that's not always super helpful. It's actually pretty weird. It's pretty weird. I'm not saying that anxiety is never Satan. We'll talk more about that in a little bit. But one of the things that I, I've seen is that like two extremes, we either overemphasize Satan or we are ignorant to maybe what he is doing. And one is weird and the other is foolish. If we always blame Satan for everything, you're probably not going to experience the healing and transformation that you desperately need. Or how about the last one? This is a really common one, one that I hear a lot. It's all my family's fault. It's all their fault that I'm anxious. This, I hear this in a couple of different ways, but one of the ways that I hear it is kind of a, a fatalistic kind of like family trait, right? Like, it, well, my mom was anxious and I'm anxious and my daughter, my son's going to be anxious. It's just like part of who we are. We are anxious people. Or, or maybe this one, like being around them makes me anxious. Being around them, I get anxious whenever I'm in their presence. And so I'm just going to protect my space and make sure that my environment is full of peace. And I, I want to be really gracious to this one. I want, I want to be really kind to this one because I do probably believe, believe part of your story. But I don't want you to approach anxiety like some kind of fatalistic flaw that's just guaranteed to be part of your existence in life. The power of God can set you free from anxiety. And when we always blame everyone else for our anxiety, we never take the personal ownership to seek healing and health and transformation. And instead, we can often find ourselves trying to create the perfect environment and the right atmosphere and all the perfect circumstances. And when we do that, we begin to trust in our environment more than God's power at work in us and through us. Remember, there is no anxiety in heaven. Subtitle, even if your parents are there. <laughs> Still no anxiety in heaven, even if your parents are there. These are some of the most common myths, right? It's all your fault, it's all Satan's fault, or it's all your family's fault. And if I can just press on this just a little bit more, because there's a, there's a giant myth that sometimes is heard in the evangelical Christian world as well, and it, and it goes a little bit like this. It's that God doesn't care that much about your mental health. He mostly cares about your salvation. He doesn't care that much about what you struggle with on earth. He mostly cares about getting you to heaven when you die. And listen, eternity is kind of a big deal, okay? We can probably all agree that like an eternal relationship with Jesus is super important. We all want to live in his presence forever more. But God is not too busy to deal with your anxiety. He's not too distant to deal with your very present reality. The beauty of the gospel isn't that we were saved for heaven someday in the, in the age to come, it's that through Jesus Christ, heaven has already come to earth. 
It happened when he was born, when he lived his life and, and lived his ministry. It, it happened when he died on the cross and was buried in the tomb and resurrected to new life for you. God deeply, deeply cares about your salvation. That's why every Sunday when we gather at the Vineyard Church, we invite people to give their life to Christ for the very first time. This is essential to walking our freedom out in Christ. But he also died on the cross so that you can begin to experience heaven today. Bristol mentioned our mission statement. It's that statement you see on the wall when you walk out our church. Joining God's mission, transforming all things. It means all things. It means your current struggles. It, it definitely means your eternal destination, but it also means any anxiety you might be experiencing right here, right now. Here is what you need to know. That if or when it impacts you, it matters to God. When it impacts you, it matters to God. To God. And I'm not saying he's going to like magically answer your prayers in the way that you want them answered, in the time that you want them answered, and it'll all just look perfect with a bow kind of tied on top. But if it impacts you, it matters to God. First Peter 5, 7, you can cast all of your anxieties upon him because he cares for you. I want to look at 1 Thessalonians 5.23 because I think we can begin to see how the peace of God can work through all of the areas of our lives. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 23. Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. The scripture teaches us that we are created with three kind of realities in our existence, body, soul, and spirit. And the truth is anxiety can impact all of them. But remember, if it impacts you, it matters to God. When he suffered on the cross, he did it so that your body, soul, and spirit can all experience the peace that comes in the presence of the Almighty God. God wants to transform your body, soul, and spirit. He didn't come and die and be resurrected back to life just to focus on your spirit. He came and died and rose again because he wants to transform your body, soul, and spirit, all three. We often emphasize the spirit, and rightfully so, eternity, right? Big deal. But he wants to transform it all. He wants to transform it all. The funny thing is when we look at that list, we, we have a hierarchy, whether we're conscious about it or subconscious, we have a hierarchy. And, and the funny thing is we don't always care for our bodies in a way that partners with God against anxiety. Some of us who struggle with anxiety, we, we might need to look at our own lives. We might need to ask a question about how we're caring for ourselves physically. We tend to think those things are unspiritual, but it is not unspiritual to assess your body and say, you know what, I might need more sleep. I might need to go for a walk. I, I might need to work out. Remember my story? Like in my case, I needed more sleep, less espresso. Like somebody needed to put their arm around me and like, dude, drink some water and go to bed. This is going to be really helpful for you. All of that anxiety you're feeling, you're just compounding it with the level of espressos that you're drinking every day. God wants to transform your body. He also wants to transform your soul. In biblical language and biblical definitions, your soul simply means your mind, will, and your emotions. He knows that when your soul is filled with anxiety, your ability to worship and receive blessings from God, your ability to impact the world around you and act in a Christ-like manner, those things begin to be hindered. I mean, it's really hard. It's, have you ever tried to make really godly decisions when you're filled with anxiety? It's really hard to do that. 
It's really hard to discern God's will over your life when anxiety is the primary emotion you're experiencing. God cares about your soul. He cares about your mental health. He cares about your emotions. You know, in just a few weeks, we're going to have our launch to the small group season again. We, we have these seasons throughout the year. And next week, we're going to really start promoting small groups. And one class you might want to really prayerfully consider, we do it every fall. It's called Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. Because you'll be a better spouse, you'll be a, a better parent and friend, you'll be a better follower of Christ and, and neighbor when your emotions are being transformed by God. Spiritual health and emotional health, they tend to grow together. God cares about transforming your soul. The third part in the scripture also teaches us that God wants to transform your spirit. He does want to transform your spirit. And again, it, it, it starts when you give your life to Christ for the very first time. This can't begin to happen without a first-time commitment to Christ. But once you make that decision to be a follower of Christ, you have to realize that you just entered into a spiritual battle. Because the devil does not want you to be transformed. He would rather have you just be a broken mess. The devil doesn't want you to be transformed. I said earlier that one of the myths and one of the lies that sometimes swirls around Christian circles is that Satan is 100% responsible for all of your anxiety. And, and this can be a fairly dangerous worldview. It can hurt the people around you, and, and, and it doesn't always lead us to transformation. But it's also dangerous to knee-jerk away from that reality to knee-jerk away from Satan must be messing with us into this other camp over here where Satan doesn't do anything to mess with us. I mean, are we really going to, stay, are we really going to say that nothing is demonic? Are, are you ready to, to plant your theology and plant your life on a, a claim that nothing is demonic or nothing is dark or that we never experience spiritual attack? If we go about our lives and we address every spiritual problem with a prescription, I'm afraid that we'll sometimes miss the origin of our issues. And I don't want you to mishear me because I, I don't want to be misquoted later. I will never, ever minimize getting professional help. Both Natalie and I have seen a counselor and it's changed our lives. But sometimes our earthly problems need a heavenly answer. And I'm afraid that sometimes we medicate spiritual problems and we spiritualize medical problems. And we have to be cautious about both extremes. We have to realize that sometimes you need pills, sometimes you need prayer, and sometimes you need all of the above. That we have to walk with God through this journey. And I want to caution you this morning that just as it's weird if we blame Satan for every single anxious thought, it's also foolish if we lose focus on the ways that he might be attacking you. We have to be wise and keen to what the enemy is trying to do. And oftentimes we need to be desperate and hungry for a heavenly breakthrough. John 10.10 10 feels like a really important passage to share at this time. In John 10.10, 10, it says, The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I, Jesus speaking now, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Satan 
wants to steal, kill, and destroy your relationships, your emotional stability, your spiritual connection with God, the way you're impacting the world. He's after you, but Christ has come to give you life and life abundantly. Again, it's weird to label every anxious thought as satanic, but it's foolish to ignore the plans of the enemy. And so collectively, we need to train our minds and train our hearts to fix our eyes on the one who promised us, us life and life to the fullest. And this is the, the foundation of our series. Everything that we talk about in the coming weeks, they're going to be building blocks on top of this reality. We need to break down the myths. We need to trust in God's transformation in every area of our life. But we also need to give you some really practical tips and tools on how to begin to live this out, right? Like, it's not fair for me to open up a can of anxiety and say, we're going to talk about it for five weeks and we'll see you next Sunday. It is not quite that pastoral of me. So I do want to give at least one tool this week. And again, we'll give you more and more tools in the week's to come. So let's ask the question, how can we start to alleviate anxiety and experience God's peace? How can we do this as a church? How can I do this individually? I want to partially answer this this week by rereading 1 Peter 5, 7 one more time, because in it, I think we're given a powerful truth. It says, cast all your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. This passage leads us to a, a really important truth that I want you to hear this morning. It's that letting it go, letting your anxiety go and, and, and just letting, letting it go, that is not that helpful. It's not actually a biblical way of dealing with anxiety. If you're struggling with anxiety yourself or you know someone around you who struggles with anxiety, looking them in the eye, praying for them and saying, honey, just let it go. That is not going to work. And it's not biblical. In fact, we get this right from pop culture. Little, little frozen princess, uh, Elsa, and her one hit wonder, let it go. She's made this really popular, but it's a bad idea. It's not grounded in a biblical worldview. We're not charged to just let it go. I mean, it might be helpful if like someone cuts you off on the road or your sibling steals your favorite pair of shoes or something like small like that. But we're talking about big things. We're talking about anxiety. We're talking about mental health. Just letting it go is a Disney promise. It's not a biblical promise. The promise of the Bible isn't to let it go. The promise of the Bible is to transfer it to the cross. The goal is not letting it go. The goal is transferring it to the cross. The cross is the place where spiritual transformation begins. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, Casting your anxiety, cast your anxieties upon him because he cares for you. This has got to be at the center of how we begin to deal with anxiety. Letting it go, it might work for a couple minutes until the next thing happens and you've got all that anxiety deep down that just erupts out of you. You've got to take it to the cross where Jesus has already conquered death and everything with it. And imagine a life with less anxiety and more peace. Imagine a church where people could walk in and experience the very presence and peace of God and begin to see anxiety melt away. Imagine the impact walking with less anxiety will have on your relationships and your family, your testimony, your witness to the world around you. Letting go simply isn't the answer. It's transferring it to the cross where Jesus Christ has died for you, he suffered for you, he was buried for you, and he rose again for you. 
He cares for you. And in your weakness and in your anxiety, you can run to him to begin experiencing his peace. Cast all your cares, cast all your anxieties upon him because he cares for you. Let's pray.